Here we are once again, um, Dumb and Dumber for a uh, Tuesday. Speak for yourself. You're dumber. I don't know. <laughs> so you're seeing there's still a chance. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm acknowledging dumb. Uh, oh, we're going to get to hockey and we're going to uh, um, um, uh, regurgitate the uh, uh, trade deadline stuff. Yes, yes. Big whoop. Uh, but Jamal Murray is um, out for an extended period of time um, with an Achilles, I think. Wow. And while that is devastating to uh, Denver and their playoff aspirations, it is equally devastating to uh, um, the Canadian Olympic team. And basketball Canada. Uh, and to basketball Canada. And, and um, John and I were just chatting about it before we got on air. And I, I said, you know, two years ago, this would have been a story, but it wouldn't have been a big story. Now it's, I mean, was there, is there a guy that Canada basketball, um, what they would think is more important than him? I think he became in the last 14 months, Bob, I think he became the focal point of our national team. I agree. And, and, you know, we saw it in the, the NBA bubble last year, how good he was. We saw it. Well, we saw it even before that, but we really got the focus on him. Uh, he, he took that Denver team to heights that I don't think a lot of people expected him to. And he was doing the same this year. And to know that, uh, that you know, at the Olympics this summer, um, he won't be there. And he won't, you know, he doesn't have a chance, and hear me out, to actually uh, be better than Steve Nash was in Sydney, Australia. Because Steve Nash, that's the measure of Canadian basketball. How well, good you could, and, 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 and Murray... Yeah, Murray could have been at that level. Uh, we want to we want to change gears. Uh, we're going to bring in a couple of our uh, Mike friends. Uh, Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. Mike Zeisberger of uh, NHL.com. Reflections on the day after the trade deadline. Who won? Who lost? Who tied? Who cares? It's the NHL. Somebody always ties. Uh, back after these messages. Well, by the, um, by the end of today, the uh, four people on this program today will all have received their first uh, dose of vaccine, which tells you more about our age than it does about um, the relative significance of our profiles. I, I thought you were going to say that by the end of the day, we're going to start about next year's trade deadline because I, I know you love it so much. Well, I, I'm I'm hopeful that at least two or three trades uh, take place today, so in advance of next next uh, year, so that um, TSN and Sportsnet get even more screwed than they did this year. Oh. But I can't promise that. Uh, joining us uh, from uh, Buffalo, New York, Mike Harrington of the News and um, Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. Uh, all kinds of places we can go with this, um, but was anybody surprised? with any of the moves in terms of their significance. I have billed this thing on an annual basis for I don't know how many years as uh, much ado about nothing, a bunch of uh, fourth liners for other fourth liners or 10th round draft picks. Um, yeah, there were a few players that you've heard of, uh, but was there, was there one deal that, was, that surprised you that was significant, a player that moved that you didn't think would? Harrington, to you first. The last deal, the mm. last deal, Anthony Manta going from Detroit to Washington for Vrana and Panic was a significant move for the Capitals, gives them, you know, more currency up front. 
and it's a guy who's been on a losing team who the Red Wings now get a couple pieces and some picks for that might turn into the most significant move because what we saw in the East Division was an arms race the Islanders making big moves the Bruins getting Taylor Hall so the Capitals had to make a move the Penguins getting Jeff Carter the East Division really everybody went for Z well you know, Mike, I agree with you, except for the fact that uh, they paid a king's ransom. Um, they did. And I, I, I got to say, if we, you know, we always do these every time there's a trade deadline, winners and losers. And although I do think that Mantha will help the Washington Capitals, I think one of the big winners is Steve Iserman for what the return that he got for a player and Anthony Mantha that obviously he had signed him to a long-term deal, but um, there's questions in the Red Wings organization as to how consistent he is to get two players back plus a first and second round pick when, and I'm sorry, Mike, but uh, you knew we were going to circle back to this. The Buffalo Sabres couldn't even get a first rounder for Taylor Hall. I understand that Mantha is a signed player, um, but I got to, I, you know, as much as it helps the Capitals, um, Stevie Eiserman came out looking, sm looking and smelling like a rose yesterday. You know, I don't think there should be any uh, surprise about that. You know, let's remember when, when Eiserman first went to Tampa, it took him 18 months to feel his oats and understand what kind of players he had. Next thing you know, uh, uh, Le Cavalier's gone. Next thing you know, San Luis is going to be moved. After that, I mean, there was the, he, he only has a certain amount of patience for people. Uh, and Jonathan Drouin, he grew impatient with Jonathan Drouin as well as Drouin grew impatient with the organization. Um, and you could, there were, there were rumblings that he had grown impatient with Mantha, particularly Mike, after he did give him the contract, there was an expectation. Remember this guy scored, if memory serves me, 65 goals in junior hockey. He's six yeah. foot five. He has every tool in the toolbox to be a great player, except what's between the ears. And that, and obviously, Iserman, um, who has a great judgment of these types of things, felt it was time to, to do something. Um, I got to think from a Washington perspective, and Brian McClellan, you know, Mike, you're right. Uh, Mike Harrington, you're correct. I mean, everybody around him improved. Uh, the Rangers didn't improve, but the Rangers scare the heck out of Washington every time they play. Sure. Um, so, so what had to happen was... Brian McClellan had to do something. And now you got to hope, and they did get Michael Raffle too, but now you got to hope that Zdeno Chara, with his professionalism, and Alex Ovechkin, with his enthusiasm, rub off on Mantha. Because if that's the case, and it does, if that occurs, then the Mantha deal could be the, a great deal for Washington in the short term. But I'll tell you what, uh, I, I got to see it before I believe it. Here's the thing too, John, when you talk about short-term versus long-term, what Brian McClellan is facing right now is what Jimmy Rutherford, when he was in Pittsburgh, would always preach. He said, I have two generational players in Malcolm, Malkin and Crosby, and you have to take advantage of that window. And if it means overpaying to bring guys around them, their supporting cast, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, although Alex Ovechkin, the way that he's going, he might go till 60. But, you know, um, realistically, when you look at Ovechkin and you look at Backstrom, uh, guys like that, there is a limited window on, of their opportunity. And I think that's the way he looked at it in terms of giving away or, or exchanging the assets that he did.
to get uh, gratification for right now. And Washington has only won one cup. The window's still wide open. The Penguins won three cups. Um, the Islanders haven't won of this group yet. And the Bruins have won one cup and the Bruins window might be closing the most of all here as they're trying to retool with some of their young players. So you're right. You have to strike when the moment is hot. We learned that in Buffalo in 06 and 07, they didn't get over the hump. And I think that's exactly what Washington is doing. They're trying to squeeze another cup out of this group. And that's one reason I think they brought in Chara to help out the back end there. And the Bruins for the record really missed Chara and probably missed the boat on that. He wasn't nearly as washed up as they thought. Hey, Mike Harrington, do you um, do you think Taylor Hall can help Boston? You know, I think one of the things with Taylor Hall is he was a little snake bit here. He's not the same player he was. Uh, he's not going to shoot 2.3% in Boston. He'll probably score three goals against the Sabres the first <laughs> or second night out, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's going to be a second-line guy in Boston, and I think that's what he said in his call was he doesn't have to be a focal point guy anymore. In Buffalo, he was behind Eichel, but he was still a pretty high focal point. You don't have to be that in Boston when you have Pasternak and Bergeron and Marshawn. And I think that really suits him at this point is in his career right now. And I think there'll be some pressure taken off because of all the, the crises that was going on in Buffalo. And, you know, he's going to be expected to produce in Boston, but it's a reasonable chance. It's a rental. The Bruins certainly didn't give up a lot. So I think Taylor Hall is going to feel a little rejuvenation here playing for the Bruins. Well, you, you guys alluded earlier to, um, what Buffalo was initially asking for him, which was a first rounder minimum, which they did not get. But did anybody think that realistically they would get that? There was hope, but I think there was reality not. The bottom line here for everything is that Taylor Hall had two goals. If Taylor Hall had 12 goals, the Buffalo Sabres probably get a first round pick from the Boston Bruins or somebody else. I don't doubt that. You know, and the other problem is we kind of got the sense yesterday and it, we got the information that really kind of crystallized everything was that Taylor Hall's no move clause was largely an outgrowth because he almost signed with the Boston Bruins in the fall. And then he said, well, a few things didn't come together for me. Well, a few things that didn't come together was that the Goulas paid him more money and got him to $8 million. And Kevin Adams said, we'll give you no move clause. So essentially, Taylor Hall was able to drive his own bus, and he made it pretty clear that he wanted to go to Boston. So the Sabres could not really pit a lot of teams against each other. And when Vegas reportedly came in very late, Taylor Hall was already down the road saying, I want to go to Boston. So they were kind of stuck, you know, and I think Don Sweeney had to be uh, laughing uh, it behind his uh, breath here because he knew he really had a good situation. And even this, I look at it though, second round pick, they take Anders Bjork for Curtis Lazar. So they take a bottom six player who's twice as expensive, whose contract is twice as long. They retain half of Taylor Hall's money What's in it for me? Kevin Adams really got stuck on this one. Well, in fact, in fact, um, I think that the difference in, in getting the deal done in Boston was the fact that Washington beat the Bruins so badly on the weekend, eight to one, that I think Don Sweeney upped the offer from a third round pick to a second round pick. Oh, can you imagine? Imagine what we said in Buffalo if all we got was a third round pick for Taylor Hall. I, I well, mean, I'm just not big on draft picks anyway. I understand you have to build to them, but this is not the NFL. We've seen the Buffalo Bills essentially drafted themselves out of trouble in the NFL in 2017 and 2018. I remind people all the time, you cannot draft yourself out of trouble in the NHL because your picks are for three or four or five years down the road. So second round picks don't do a lot for me. I think the biggest thing to watch here is Kevin Adams has 10 draft picks. 
can he put some sort of package together going forward with a couple picks, another prospect, whatever, to get back into that first round to get another pick? I really think that's their long-term play. Just let him win the lottery. Let him win the lottery, it does, please. It doesn't matter this year. Really, it doesn't matter. There's no McDavid. There's no Lafreniere. I, I'm not necessarily of the school that it matters if Buffalo gets one, two, or three this year. It's not that kind of year. I, I do know this, Harrington. If they would have got a third-round pick for him, you wouldn't needed COVID vaccine. You didn't need heart uh, medication, okay, because <laughs> you would have snapped. I mean, we were, we were texting the night of the, uh, um, the, night of the, the hall trade and uh, I could feel the uh, anger oozing through my phone, okay? Um, and, and you know what? I mean, I, I now we know, uh, you know, that was before we knew the way that Hall had kind of painted them into a corner. Um, so it makes a little more sense. But uh, again, um, I mean, you, you, you see the outrage for a second round pick, a third, if, if they would have had to settle for a third, um, you know, I, and, and here's the other thing. Um, yes, he wanted to go there. You know, we heard teams like Washington were interested in him too. I mean, I got to think that Washington, if they, given what they gave up again for a guy that signed in Mantha, but uh, you know, I, I would have thought they would have jumped in and said, here is a second round pick. We'll throw a fourth in there for you as well. Well, let me, actually, let me ask both of you guys. Would you rather have Taylor Hall or Anthony Mantha? Harrington. You know, having seen Taylor Hall this year and see the, the way he played and, and see even last year, you wonder how much his game has eroded in the wake of his knee injury. He's not nearly the player he was in the Hart Trophy year. At this point, I would rather have Anthony Manta. You know, we know Taylor Hall has a, been a losing player in terms of his team most of his career. Let's see if Anthony Manta gets rejuvenated a little bit on a Washington Capitals team that's a winner. Zeiss? It depends on what team you're on. I, I think if I'm Boston... I've got enough. I've got big bodies in that. Um, I think they needed another skilled player up front behind that first line. Mm -hmm. And so, if I'm the Boston Bruins right now, I think I would want Taylor Hall more, just because you know, a better skater. Uh, I know he doesn't have the production, but to Mike's point earlier, um, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy there. And when I think of Taylor Hall. I kind of think uh, related to Phil Kessel, um, where in Toronto, the spotlight was on him. He was kind of looked at as being one of the guys. That's not his makeup. But when he got traded to Pittsburgh, all of a sudden I thought, this is going to be a great fit because you have Crosby, you've got Malkin. Uh, even dealing with the media after the game, Marc-Andre Fleury was there. And I mean, he, he just goes on and on and on. He's one of the most wonderful uh, interviews in sports. So Kessel could just do what he did, and he ended up winning a couple of cups. So yes, but I the think point, it's courses for courses. The point of difference there in your analysis um, is that Kessel performed for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He produced yeah. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in Hall, you've got a guy who hasn't performed for a few years, for, you know, and has been underperforming arguably his entire career. Has he had a year that you could say he met or exceeded the expectation, one, one, one. Twenty eighteen, when he won the Hart Trophy in twenty eighteen. Hart Trophy, and, he, and You're right, and his it's only play, off. and his only playoff appearance in his career. Yeah, yeah. Until in last his career, year. until last year at Arizona, that was it. That's right. Is, well, do we call it? We. I'm not sure. We. 
I think I don't call. I think we called those postseason. We didn't call those playoffs. Right. I because I don't want to. I'm not giving him credit for taking them to the bubble. I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the funny thing about all of this really is how even Taylor Hall got saberized. I mean, did anybody think that was a bad move at the time? One year, a one year gamble, eight million. You, you might have thought it wasn't going to work, but it was. It was. It was either he was either going to play well and sign, or he was going to be traded and you're probably going to get a good return for him because he was going to be the top guy at the deadline. So it was a good roll of the dice, but like everything else in Buffalo, it just didn't work. And he got saberized. He suddenly couldn't put the puck in the net. He tripped over the blue line on a breakaway in Long Island and he's in blooper reels forever. And that's the kind of things that happen in Buffalo. It was worth By the way, I'll give you that. Well, well, it didn't material. Bob, I think, I think, I think that Bob, I think they should uh, we should call up the Webster's people and uh, have that word put into the dictionary. Saberized. Saberized. That's good. Saberized. That's good. I got to admit, Mike, I have never heard that before. Saberized. I'm using it from now on. I'm stealing it. I'm, you're not getting credit for it either. It's been my trademark for a while. I've seen a lot in the last 10 years, let me tell you. No team was busier, I don't think, um, at the deadline and the deals that were done just ahead of the deadline than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Dylan Dubas. Which is really an intriguing thing for me, and I want to delve into this, um, because that is the kind of thing usually you do if you are in, um, a bad team looking to unload a bunch of um, dead meat or you're a team that hopes to be good, but knows that you need more than one fix. The Toronto Maple Leafs arguably are um, as good a playoff bet as any based on the regular season performance. I could have made the argument that this is a perfect team not, that, that shouldn't make any deals. Don't mess it up. It's not really broken. You could argue they, they wanted a goaltender. Did they need another goaltender? Well, that remains to be seen. But they didn't go out and get a sure number one. They went out and got a, a number two, who might even wind up being a number three. But they made, what, six, seven? They got six or seven new players? Um, does this make sense to you? Zeisberger, you're closer to the Maple Leafs probably than anybody else here. Does this make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, you know, I give Kyle Dubas credit because he took a lot of heat um, after the loss to Columbus in the qualifiers last year, and rightly so. Bob, you said like, you know, based on their regular season, uh, they should be a, you know, a good bet as any in, in the playoffs, except this is a team that hasn't won a playoff series in 2004 with the core that they had. Going into the trade deadline, and we can get to the other players in a moment, but to me, when Nick Foligno's name came up uh, in, in rumors and scuttlebutt and, and forthwith, I just sat there and said, A, why would Columbus ever trade this guy? And B, this guy has to be so far at the top of the Toronto Maple Leafs list because he is something that they do not have. And that's, you know... No offense to guys like Thornton and Simmons and that, but he and Pierre-Luc Dubois um, almost single-handedly in terms of forwards, uh, you know, beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, in, in my opinion, in, in that qualifier. This guy is a heart and soul guy. You go into a playoff series, nobody is going to want to play him. Um, 
which was evident by the fact that the team that he joined uh, could didn't have an answer for him. So uh, I think when they look at it, uh, you know, they've gone from being a young team to an experienced team. I have no problem with them going out and getting a goalie because they look at what happened to Colorado last year, where that team arguably to me, along with Tampa, were the two most, and still are the two most talented teams in the league, but they ended up having to go to a game seven with Michael Hutchison, um, who now gets bumped back to number four on the Toronto depth chart. So I understand what they did there, but to me, um, you know, the other players are depth players, but uh, the fact that they got Nick Foligno for once a team addressed its biggest need with the best player to fit it. And, uh, you know, it may not work out, but kudos to them for going out and getting them. You know, and you have to think too, what's Kyle Dubas doing? To me, the Leafs are head and shoulders favorite to come out of their division. They're thinking right now, how are we going to do in the third round? How are we going to win the Stanley Third round? Yes, because they haven't won anything since 2004. Let's get through the first one first. <laughs> and if they don't win the two series this year, a lot of heads are going to roll. They're head and shoulders the best team in that division, as long as the goaltending doesn't all pull hamstrings. Mm-hmm. But they're thinking Stanley Cup this year, even though they haven't won a series. Yeah, I think they are. How are we going to do against Vegas or Tampa or whoever else we might see? And we better have a deeper, grittier, more all-encompassing, talented team. And that's what they did. And I love what they did. Yeah, I, th- I think the real key is the Maple Leafs wanted to make sure that they would have 20 healthy skaters for the third round. And, and you know, a guy like Ben Hutton, who uh, comes from Anaheim for a, a low pick, um, may never play a game here. And if they stay healthy, he may, ne- he may never dress for a game for the Maple Leafs. And he will sit uh, in the press box or the taxi squad or now that the rosters are, are expanded, just sit and practice. Um, and just as, a, an, as an insurance policy, David Riddick, the, the backup goalie from Calgary, really, his value is really only in the 16 games rest of uh, the rest of the regular season, yeah. yep. uh, because Freddie Anderson will be back healthy, whether, whether starting or backing up Jack Campbell, you know, so in the end, you're sure this of that? was, yes, 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 I am. That was three yeses, Bob. Um, but, but here's the thing. If he's not, then there comes David Riddick and David Riddick sits on the bench. You know, I mean, it's, this was, you know, it was it cap circumvention. Sure. It was cap circumvention. They did a magnificent job. The guy who designed the cap, Brandon Pridham, you know, is the capologist for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He understands every nook and cranny of the CBA and how to use it. And, the, the, and they, they used it to the advantage. Brian Burke used to bitch and complain. Why you don't you right let there. us... Yeah, 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 that's right. Brian used to complain that uh, you, you don't let people buy and sell cap space. Well, this is, what, this is what the teams have now learned how to do, is buy and sell cap space. And, and the value of a fourth-round pick is... $400,000 of cap space, which is what I think Stevie Eiserman got in the Savard deal. You know, so they have found another loophole in, in Gary and Bill's master plan to try to control spending and still teams that have a bit of money, because there's lots of teams that have no money right now, none. Uh, but the Maple Leafs come from a big company that will still allow you to spend. Uh, and they found a way to use it. And it, it, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
they're not a they're not a lock to go to the third round though. You know, there's going to be two teams that are going to going to bump them and bruise them and through the first two rounds, particularly Winnipeg, I think. Um, and so it's going to be fascinating to see if they can get to the third round. But if they do, they'll be healthy enough to play. Well, but Winnipeg did very little uh, right. at the deadline. Um, and wasn't I think- for wasn't for not, not trying, Bob. It was, they really did try to improve. They tried to get David Savard. They tried to get Nidavara out of Columbus. It just didn't work. Well, it didn't work because they weren't prepared to take the gamble, I guess. I right. mean, it, it comes down to that. Look what um, Tampa paid for David Savard. That's the thing. They paid the premium. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it goes back to it goes back to windows opening and closing. What's yeah. the window? Now, the other thing is they do have a pretty good player coming off of IR, amazingly, just in time for the playoffs in Tampa. That <laughs> <laughs> may be the best trade deadline addition oh, of all, right? Nikita Kucherov. But but their window is going to close a lot sooner, I think, than, than, than people realize. And, and Julian Brisebois understands that better than anybody. Um, let's take a break and uh, we'll come back and address some of the other things that happened or did not happen and uh, the strengths and weaknesses of what the NHL looks like today. We'll uh, take the break and uh, return after these messages. <laughs> With uh, Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News and uh, Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com. It's uh, McCowan. It's Shannon as we um, regurgitate. <laughs> last time, uh, Bob. Last time. Line. Last time. What do you mean last time? We're not going to do it again this week. Well, I, I can assure you we're not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear about the trade deadline until next year. It's in Buffalo yep hear about is who you're selling so let's let's wait another year for this this is my gift to you today uh shannon you hockey puck you <laughs> although i i love to chat with these two gentlemen at, at any time but i'd rather be talking about anything but the um but the trade deadline um still with the canadian division um uh, moves by vancouver and calgary specifically um are, were, were they exclusively white flags Calgary was Calgary was sure Calgary was a white flag um you you know uh, and I I think if you talk to people inside the organization um and that there's now a real understanding that we're on the verge particularly in the summertime of uh watching uh an NHL team have to retool in so many ways because they got rid of getting rid of Sam Bennett getting rid of their number two goalie um, it's they weren't going to be flames long-term anyway. They were going to lose them in the summer. Uh, but this was also a shot across the bow of guys like Goudreau and Monaghan to, Hey, you know what? Things are changes are coming. Well, and those two seem, well, do both of them seem likely to go in the off season? Johnny Goudreau has been talked about over and over and over again. And it's been kind of quiet about Monaghan. What do you think? See, well, I think you use the right word, quiet and Monaghan together. Um, you know, he's reached a certain level, but I, I think Calgary looked at looked at their core and, and Monaghan, Goudreau, and then obviously uh, uh, Giordano at the back end. And, and, you know, that's why they went out and got a Tanif Bob. That's why they went out and got a Markstrom and, and they really thought they had a shot. Um, Maybe Johnny Gaudreau and, and Sean Monahan are what we see of them now. 
okay. They, they show flashes, they tease you, um, but they, there's just a lack of consistency. So it depends on what the return is for either of those players. Um, but it would not surprise me. I mean, if, if, if they can get, if, if Brad Treliving can get a, a, a half decent return for those guys, um, like Shani said, the, you know, they may have to blow up the whole thing. I mean, I mean, Giordano's, uh, you know, uh, approaching his late thirties as well. Um, so, you know, they, they, I actually think that uh, Treliving uh, has been more patient than a lot of people wanted him to be with this core. And if you watched his press conference yesterday, you could see him kind of sapped of energy. And he said, you know what? He used the word. He said, I don't want to, I don't really want to use this word, but there's no better word. It sucks when you have to send guys that, you know, that, that have played for you that long. It sucks to have to trade them away. Well, you know what? I think it's going to suck even more for, for Treliving because I think he's got to move some of these guys and hit the reset button. Sapped of energy. That's exactly what I saw his eyes. And you think of this division, it's really fascinating to me. Ottawa's the young team really coming with the prospects. The Leafs and Edmonton at the top. Winnipeg, really promising. And then everybody else, the other three, you're kind of wondering. Calgary and Vancouver really seem stuck in the mud. Montreal's trying, but they're just not good enough. Mm -hmm. But Calgary and Vancouver right now are in a bad spot. When you're in the middle and you're not really terrible, and you're not pushing for the top, you've got to really make some hard decisions about where you're going with your team. And let, let I me, will let say me, this let about it. Vancouver. Um, I think they're in a different position, Mike, in terms of the fact that uh, in goal with Thatcher Demko, uh, on the blue line with Quinn Hughes, and then up front with uh, Horv Horvat and Pedersen, at least you have a core of under 25 players that if you want to get rid of the peripheral guys and rebuild yeah. around them, at least you have the core. Which you young get them guys signed. in Calgary do you look at and say, okay, but, these yeah. are franchise guy, guys, they're young, we can build around them. I don't see it there. That's you, better, you, you better get Pedersen. You better get Pedersen and Hughes signed. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and the other thing with Pedersen, you better be concerned that uh, he's, he's a little more durable in the future than he has been the last couple of years. Oh, uh, let, let, actually, let, both to both mics, let me throw this at you. Would, would you ever believe that Matthew Kachuk was the second best Kachuk playing in Canada? Hmm. Because he's, he, he, a lot of what has reflected in Calgary, yeah. he's been a barometer of that hockey club. Mm -hmm. You know, we can talk good draw, we can talk Monaghan. Matthew Kachuk has been a major disappointment for them this year. Yeah, Brady Kachuk, on the other hand, is just a fire. I mean, I, I, I think there's the Brady Kachuk fan club is growing every day. The Matthew Kachuk fan club, it might have lost a few secret Dakota rings. And this is something that's going on in Buffalo. You have an eye to next season. If the league reverts back to its old arrangement, which we don't know because of the virus, Buffalo's got to keep its eye on Ottawa and Detroit. Teams that are young and building and doing some things, and they're, you know, have to play catch up to them too, even though they're getting killed in the East Division this year. So Ottawa's really a team that jumps out at you, and people in Buffalo are watching, going, they got a lot of prospects and they're really on the move here. We might have a problem. Well, the team we haven't mentioned here, um, really, with a, to any extent, is the Edmonton Oilers. And you can make the argument, I think we all probably would, that. Toronto's the favorite in the, the North Canadian, whatever the hell division it's called. But you wouldn't be shocked if Winnipeg beat them, if Winnipeg emerged. How shocked would we be if Edmonton came out of here? 
I, I don't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be all that surprised. And um, they did relatively nothing. Um, Shannon, you just spent a week in Edmonton. Um, why? Yeah. Well, <laughs> first of all, why, why did uh, I why spend a week there? Oh. <laughs> why didn't they do anything? Well, because this is not their year yet. And it's not their year because they are so uh, cap and cash conscious right now. Uh, their year is, is next year. Uh, and Kenny Holland knew he had to make a couple of tweaks. He knew he had to improve his blue line. Not much different than what occurred in Winnipeg uh, with the blue line. They weren't going to, Winnipeg wasn't going to take Kulikov back anyway. So, but uh, Dmitry Kulikov will allow uh, the younger Oiler defenseman to, to uh, get a bit more experience before they throw him into the, the, the number two pair. Uh, but they didn't address a need for goal scoring. They still need goal scoring other than those two guys. And, and that's going to be an issue. And we've seen that a couple of times, particularly in, against Montreal and against Calgary. Um, so from, from that perspective, I would just say that uh, under the circumstances of a tight cap and what's going on and they have to sign a few guys, this just wasn't the time for the Oilers to go uh, all in at the deadline like Toronto or Washington did. Um, it might be their turn next year. And but... they're a step behind. They're a step behind Toronto Winnipeg. Sorry, John. It's just right. come down to make a save. The Edmonton Oilers just are not going to make enough saves and goal, I don't think, to last long enough in the playoffs. And I think well, Mike Smith's, been, Mike Smith's done an amazing job, but you, you have to wonder at which point does he break. Right. Well, you remember last year, John, in the play-ins against oh. Chicago, um, as good as their goaltenders could have looked in the regular season, like we said earlier in the podcast, playoffs are a different animal. And their goaltending got exposed uh, in the playoffs. But having said that, do I think the Oilers are going to win the cup? No. Could they come out of the North division? Very much so. And I think the one thing, I mean, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, I mean, they, they speak for themselves. I think they can win a, a team a game on any night, but um, you know, Kenny Holland's got to be pretty pleased with the way that Darnell Nurse has, has developed and taken that next step this year to be kind of the, number one defenseman that they've been looking for, I mean, ever since McDavid got there. And, and, and that's the thing to your point that I think they are getting close. Mm -hmm. And by next year, Kenny Holland can, can fit in those pieces. Well, it, 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 I mean, not only Darnell nurse, but I mean, they, they dragged Tyson Berry out of the Toronto scrap heap and Tyson Berry has played very well for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the guy they traded Taylor Hall for, is going to get a new long-term deal in Edmonton. And Adam Larson has been a horse all year for them. So it, it, the interesting thing is you look, and, and I'm going to throw and get all the Montreal Canadian fans mad at me. I'm going to throw Montreal aside as the number four team in the division. But, but Toronto, Winnipeg, and Edmonton have been staring at each other and saying, okay, Winnipeg's deeper at the forwards. We need to be better. That's what Kyle tried to address. Winnipeg has said, we need to have a better blue line in order to try to compete against the Maple Leafs and the Oilers uh, in the playoffs, because their forwards are better, are, you know, are going to come down on our D. Everybody has been trying to retool and, and improve themselves just for those first two rounds, because they do know that, man, oh man, one of us is going to get to the Stanley Cup semifinal. One of us is. There's going to be a Canadian team in round three, and, and everyone is trying to say, I want it to be me more than anything else. So much is about fit with players too. You look at, 
I mean, Tyson Berry was just not a good fit in Toronto. He's been a much better fit in Edmonton. Look at how TJ Brody has helped the Leafs. I mean, fit is everything for players. And it's sometimes for a variety of reasons, it just doesn't work. And wouldn't the Leafs have wanted Tyson Berry to look like he looks this year, last year? It just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, Listen, to, Tyson, to the point about Tyson Berry, he said, you know, when he signed with Edmonton that, you know, uh, mentioned about the negative Toronto media and I immediately blamed Bob and Shani. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're members of the, listen, we're members of the Tyson Berry fan club. Come on now. We were, we were the only guys protecting Tyson. Bob's Just a nobody member could, of no fan club. No, no, but nobody, uh, nobody, I, was, I nobody any, was listening. I don't belong nobody to any was, fan clubs and I don't belong to the media anymore. So, um, oh. so anybody who wants to take a shot at me, <laughs> fire away. It's, it's all those, it's all those people you follow miles. on Twitter. Bob, you'll miss by miles. <laughs> um, the intriguing thing still comes down to this, and I know we're going to talk about it in the coming weeks. But we sit here, and um, as we have here, and we can form, forge opinions about any team based upon what their play against six or seven other teams. And we have absolutely no clue what that what any of those teams will look like once they get to the Stanley Cup semifinal because they're all going to be in the same in the same boat they're all going to play within their division until the final four and then all of a sudden it's going to be a coin flip because mm -hmm. there's there's going to be no relevant data really i mean nothing really is relevant you know you can look at goal scoring you can look at goaltender performance you can look at all kinds of things that we've looked at for years and years and years as, as points of relevance. Many times they don't materialize, but points of relevance leading to the playoffs. What does any of that mean this year? I, I think there's only one relevant thing in the by the third round, Bob. I, this year What's particularly. Health. 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 Yeah. Because matchups, you know, you always look back, how did we do against this team this year? No one will have played each other. No, None. No. You're going to get to the Stanley Cup semifinals and you're guaranteed to have a matchup where the last time these teams met, if it's possible, was March of 2020. And it could have been October or November of 2019. It could have been. You know, so that's really going to be interesting to me. And you could have the, cr the cross-pollination of things. What if the third round is Toronto and Vegas, for instance? You could have East-West in the third round, not at the end this year. So it's really okay. going to be interesting. It's going to almost be like the old days of baseball. In the I was World just going to say, yep. Two teams met who've never played before. Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, they're playing in the most important series. That's going to happen in the NHL starting. Well, and particularly if the Maple Leafs are playing in Buffalo, Mike. Just like just like the baseball team's gonna be playing in Buffalo, the hockey team could be playing in Buffalo. It's gonna be a yeah. busy, busy time in Buffalo starting in about June, I think. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we I've had that thought that you know, how are things gonna work out here? Are they gonna match up Winnipeg with Minnesota and the Leafs in Buffalo? I mean, it might happen. I even wrote a whole column. Hey, Sabres fans, your biggest nightmare could happen. What if the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. What if they won it in Buffalo, of all places? I got a little response from that one. Let's put it <laughs> the, the ghost of Punch Imlac. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when push comes to shove, it's easy for Buffalo fans to hate uh, Toronto teams. We get no, that. That's they normal. They hate the Leafs. They don't hate, right, the, Leafs. They hate the Leafs. Yeah. But if the, if the Leafs move in to your arena for the Stanley Cup semifinal... Does that hatred continue? Oh, yeah. 
or do you adopt them? No, not a chance. No chance? So, no so, chance. So, so the concept of selling 15% of the arena to hockey fans to cheer for the visiting team? <laughs> well, I think, I think the one thing is, believe it or not, believe it or not, there are a lot of Leafs fans in Buffalo sure. who are from Buffalo who grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada. Yep. So, yes, there's the faction of very anti-Leaf sentiment in Buffalo, the diehard Sabres fans. There are Leafs fans in Buffalo. And let's be honest, you wonder, if we're talking the Stanley Cup final, do some Leafs fans get in their car, try to get across the border and say, you know what, I'll quarantine the 14 days when I go home to see the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. Wow. Listen, Mike, uh, if, if I'm Brandon Shanahan, I want to play anywhere but Buffalo. Because if anybody ever looks at the Leafs record dating back to the early seventies in Where Buffalo, is that? Yeah. it's like 30 wins and a thousand losses. Okay. Exactly. And I'm exaggerating, but maybe not that much. And it's funny because even when the Leafs are good and you go down there, you go down to Buffalo and Buffalo doesn't have a very good team and they kick the Leafs, but every time I drive back, and I stop at customs, I'll say, so how many at, at the Peace Bridge, I say, so how many Leaf fans jumped off the bridge? And every time they'll shake their head and go, I don't know why these Leaf fans keep going to Buffalo because they always come back all pissed off. Well, so the, the other interesting thing, and just so we don't ignore the other Canadian teams, um, there might be a real push uh, to, if it's Edmonton or, uh, or Winnipeg, to play them in California. Uh, simply because then you could probably you might be able to do a double header. It might be a time issue thing too. You you may find ways that if you're, you're better off playing Vegas versus Edmonton in at Staples Center, uh, or or in Chicago than you would be somewhere else because of time zone uh, realities for television. And so you never know what the NHL and what the networks and the teams are going to think of. So we just don't want to say it's going to be Buffalo. It may be Buffalo if it's the Maple Leafs, but it may be another arena if it's something that's more advantageous time zone-wise and network-wise for the NHL. Before we go, let me ask a question that I probably should know the answer to, uh, but I don't. And that is, what, what are the proposed matchups for round three? Point seedings. So you still, that's why the importance of the regular 56 games. Points. So oh, points? Straight points. One fourth, two three. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hmm. That's how you end up with east-west potential. If one yeah, you do. East-west, it could happen. Yep. Yeah. Well, in which case, forecasting where teams will play to try and get, as John suggested, um, early and late games mm. may not even be possible because uh, you can't really control. You know, the geography will be what it is, but that's going to be superseded by. Um, who plays who. Uh, time is our enemy. We must off. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for this enlightening analysis <laughs> of the day of trades. Um, let us promise not to do this uh, for at least one more year. And maybe and, next time in person, huh? I think we said that last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let's, let's not go down that road yet. Uh, Mike and Mike, thank you, boys. See you soon. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, Harrington and Zeisberger. We'll come back to wrap it up after these messages. McCowan and Shannon back to uh, wrap it up. At the beginning of the program, John, I mentioned um, Murray's, uh, I, I said Achilles, but it was an ACL. And of course, well, they, the same letters, lots of the same letters. Same letters. Um, 
same leg too. Yeah. Just a different location in the leg. Yeah. Boy. Uh, the impact is the same. Yeah. Speaking of impact, uh, Bob, who did you think won the trade deadline? We haven't heard your opinion. I don't have any opinion whatsoever. I don't think um, I, I, I'm not capable of analyzing it. I, I really think it's, it's, um, it's mostly junk for junk. Um, wow. And you, you tweak and you, well, but it's not there. There's one, there's one, there, I, I think. At the end of the day, either you have the players on your 20 whatever man roster at the yeah. time of the trade deadline, or you don't. And the rest of the tweaking might win you, might win you a game somewhere along the line. And could that theoretically win you a Stanley Cup? Sure. But I think way too much emphasis is placed on this. And I know you're going to now point to a couple of cases no, in one, history. One. No, I'm going to uh, point. I'm going to point Kings, to. I'm gonna, right? Uh, well, no, I, I think one team this year did the, what I would describe as the Butch Goring move. Uh, got a guy that's going to be a difference maker, uh, you know, and I, I think that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think Tampa Bay, uh, in getting a defenseman, David Savard out of Columbus, they, they, uh, they paid a huge price for it, but David Savard's a top four defenseman and he's going to, he's, he's not playing 11 minutes. He's going to play 20 minutes tonight and he's going to be a difference maker. And if he can stay healthy and that's going to be the big caveat for everything well, in the hockey, I don't he is, he's, he's David Savard is, David Savard has a really good chance of being on the Stanley Cup championship team this year with this trade. You have left me not enough time to give you an argument, but I'll, I'll save it for another day, like tomorrow. <laughs> Come back for that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, until then, for Shannon McCowan, have a good one.